0: That is rad. Man, that is so good. Good morning, Christ Chapel. Man, it's great to see you, great to be with you, great to worship with you. If you're joining us online, thanks so much for choosing to be with us and make us a part of your weekend. I want to invite you to, if you're in the area, to come on back to church. Uh, we would love to be able to see you in person, even though you might have a mass when you come in, uh, but uh, there are plenty of wonderful folks here, but there's space for you, so uh, come on back to church. Also wanted to just acknowledge on this coming Wednesday, I know that uh, the city of Fort Worth has declared that a day of prayer. And, uh, uh, we will certainly be doing that here as a church, and so want to encourage you to do the same thing, to set aside some time to pray, certainly for the citizens of Fort Worth, but also pray for our hospitals, pray for our city officials, all of those things. You can find more information on their website, but anyway, just uh, I thought, man, if, if the church doesn't partake in a day of prayer that our city is asking for us to pray, then uh, we've fallen down. Because as James teaches us, the prayer of the righteous are powerful and effective. And so they're asking us as people who can go approach the Father one-on-one because of our relationship with Jesus Christ that we would go and make petitions for our city. And so I uh, certainly agree with that and hope that you would uh, participate that uh, in that Wednesday also. Uh, if you would, go ahead and open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter four. 1 Peter chapter four, we're gonna be in verses one to, 11, and I want to, if you'll go ahead and turn there, we're going to continue our series Hope Refined, and I want to tell you, I ran across a classic poem uh, this week, a classic one that was published by Robert Frost back in 1916 pre Spanish influenza pandemic, the last time we had a touch point of a worldwide pandemic in in our world, uh, but anyway it 's called The Road Not Taken and some of you know it it 's kind of a pretty well known uh, poem, and part of it is because it 's so simple i mean there 's four stanzas, five lines i mean even i can at least I thought I understood it. Many people say that it's the most misunderstood poem that's been written, but I, I don't know. I'm not a critic, but I think I can understand it because the setting is something that we can all relate to because the way that he starts out is that he's kind of standing, the narrator, standing at this crossroad, this proverbial fork in the road, and the, he talks about it—the it, color yellow—and this. I mean, it's beautiful. Uh, th- this is where I hope you are able to go or are going to get out of the Texas heat very soon. Um, but uh, he portrays this person standing there and analyzing which way they should go. They they know that whichever direction that they choose, it's going to affect their future, and they also know that they can't choose both. You can't walk down both paths. You, you either have to go left or you have to go right. And the way that it ends is that it, it's almost in this kind of futuristic tone where uh, the, the narrator is now gone. He's picked a path. He's gone down, the, down that path. And he says, it, the, the last line is, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. It ch- took the road less traveled by and now that has made all the difference in our lives, in, in his life. And, and this is something that we can all relate to because we face proverbial forks in the road all the time. It, it does, and we, we can all look back on those forks also in our lives where we say, hey, you know, there was this relationship where I could either continue or, or stop and go another direction. You know, date him or date him. And we, we all have those, or, or a career path. You could have chosen this career path. You could have taken this job. You could have lived in this city. And we've all had those proverbial forks in the road. But in the Christian life, we have it all the time. In the Christian life, we always have this daily decision that God is calling us to take the road less traveled. Take the road less traveled by because it will make all the difference. You see, this poem actually has a gospel truth to it. If you'll remember, in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus talks about this proverbial fork in the road when he says that there are two paths. He says, wide is the gate that leads to destruction, and many go through that one. But narrow is the gate that leads to life, and few find it. It's that what is the road less traveled? As believers, we're called to go through the narrow gate. We're called to go through the one that not many people are going through. And in 1 Peter, he's been calling us to go through this narrow gate, to take the road less traveled by, promising us that it's going to make all the difference. But this even makes a difference when we suffer, When we go through suffering for good, there's still a proverbial fork in the road. If you'll remember last week when we were in chapter three, in chapter three, he said, hey, it's better to suffer for doing good rather than for evil if that be God's will. And remember how we talked about how suffering in this world is inevitable. And I would rather you suffer for doing good than suffer for doing evil because if we suffer for doing evil, that's the wide road that leads to destruction. But if we suffer for good according to God's will, then that's the narrow gate that will end up leading to life, the life that God has called us to. You see, when we approach suffering for good, we can always choose to go down one of two roads. We can go down the road of selfishness, or we can go down the road of service. The road of selfishness is very easy to take. When I'm suffering, I, you know, we joke about this all the time, us guys. I mean, we know that we are the worst kind of patients in the world. Our wives know that. They're like, oh my gosh, you're just unbearable. And I'm, not, I'm like, I'm not even sick. But no, I'm kidding. But when we're sick, we're awful. We, you know, we want to be made better. We want life to be about us. I want the warm soup. I want the comfy bed. I want the remote control. I, And it's all about what I want. I choose selfishness. And what the scriptures call us to do is to not choose that road. Because if we go down that road of selfishness, when we suffer, that's the gate that's wide. That's the gate that leads to sin. That's the gate that ultimately leads to destruction, whether it's destruction in relationships, destruction, it deteriorates our relationship with God, all of those things. And so what Peter is gonna call us to do today is to take the other path to take this road where we serve, where we not only serve others, but we serve God as we suffer for doing good. Because that's what he says, and I know that you, in chapter four, and I know that you would say, okay, Cody, that's that's easy. Like, I get it, okay, you know, we're done. You know, close the Bible, let's go sit down. Because we all know that we shouldn't sin. But here's my problem is, how do I equip you? How do I equip you as a believer to suffer for doing good, to tomorrow morning, to today, choosing the path to serve God and to serve others rather than serving your own selfishness, going into entitlement, walking that wide road that leads to destruction. Well, I think if you look at verse one, he tells us, look at it, he says, Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves. Arm yourselves. Just, just stop right there. So he says, since Christ suffered for doing good, remember, no servant is greater than his master, John 15, 20. If he suffered in this world and we're living like him, then the world's gonna treat us just like it treated him. We're gonna suffer for doing good. So he says, since Christ suffered for good, and therefore, it's implied, you're gonna suffer for doing good if you're living for him, then arm yourselves. Arm yourselves is, I mean, it's a military term. It's not only this Ephesians 6, put on the full armor of God, but it's, hey, get prepared, get equipped. You know, with this whole COVID crisis that we're living in, how many of us would have loved to have been prepared for it? All of us. I mean, all of us would have loved to have been prepared. We would have loved to have an alternate job if you lost your job. You would have loved to have enough savings. You would have loved to have a plan B. We all would have loved to be prepared before it happens. And that's what we need to do now because the time to prepare is not when you're in the middle of it. Then you're just trying to catch up. So what I wanna do today is I wanna give you three very simple ways from 1 Peter chapter four that you can arm yourselves before you suffer the crisis of doing good for Christ. So just very simple, three simple ways to arm yourselves. And the first one is this, you need to arm yourselves with the mind of Christ that keeps us in step with God's will and not our own passions. You need to arm yourself with the mind of Christ that keeps us in step with God's will and not our passions. I hope you know this, but we all act what we think. The way that you behave stems from what you believe. Your mind, what you think, you live out. It, It all starts in the mind, and you've heard me use that phrase before, the battlefield of the mind. This is where the the game is won or lost. This is where we begin to believe. This is where we begin to think. And that's why he says, arm yourself with the mind of Christ. Look at verses one and two. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. That means the way he was thinking. Uh, That word thinking can also mean attitude. Arm yourselves with the same attitude. Attitude. And not just I have to think exactly like he does, but the same attitude. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. And I'll explain that in just a second. So as to live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. Now, let me just do some simple deduction for you. If, in order to live for the will of God, you have to have the mind of Christ. You can't live for the will of God without the mind of Christ. So if we want to take the narrow road, the road less traveled, because we believe that will make all the difference, we've got to have the mind of Christ. And he says, so equip yourselves, arm yourselves with his attitude, with his way of thinking. And he says, because those who have suffered in the flesh for Christ, they have ceased from sin. Now, that should terrify us all because I don't know about you, but since I've come to know Christ, I have sinned. And so then it makes me go, okay, does that mean I don't know Christ? I never came to know him? You have to understand what this phrase means. It doesn't mean that once you come to know Christ, that you will never, ever sin again. In fact, a better translation probably of this, rather than has ceased to sin, means have stopped sinning forever, means has been released from sin." Because what scripture teaches us is when we don't know Christ, we are enslaved to sin. You can't do anything but sin. You will always walk down the wide road that leads to destruction that many other people are on. Always. It's your default setting. It's what you know naturally. It's what your mind is trained to do. But when we come to know Christ, we're made new. We are totally new creatures in Christ. And we're given a new mind. We're made alive in Christ and so that's why he said you've been released from that therefore you no longer have to choose to sin you now have a choice you stand at the proverbial fork in the road and you can choose to sin and go through selfishness or you can choose to serve God and to go about his will for your life you now have that choice where beforehand you didn't and so he says I want you to renew your mind to think about him so that you can choose God's will. This is exactly what a passage is gonna talk about, but I gotta ask you a question first. Do you have a regular routine to renew your mind with the scriptures? This is, this is Monday morning relevant, but it's, it's, this is basic, guys. And these are reminders that I need as a pastor. Sorry to disappoint you if you thought better of me. But I've gotta have these reminders. I've got to change my mind. Because, again, it all comes from the mind. If you remember Romans chapter six, in Romans six, that, that's where it gives us this whole idea that we've, been, we've died to sin and now we've been made alive to Christ. And he says, don't you know that you're dead to sin? Don't you know you've been released from that? Consider yourself dead to sin and alive to Christ. It all happens here. And then present yourselves, this action, present yourselves as an instrument of righteousness to God. We all need this every day to know, consider, and therefore present ourselves, but it all starts here in the mind. And so that's why you need that daily regular routine to get into God's word so that you can choose to go God's direction. Look at Romans 12, two, it'll show up on the screen. He says, Paul says, do not be conformed to this world. Don't choose the wide road. But be transformed, how? By the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. How do we know, how do we go through this test to understand what God's will is? His good, perfect, and pleasing will. You face that fork in the road. And man, sometimes we win and sometimes we lose. Sometimes I win, sometimes I lose, and I choose the road that I shouldn't. I go down selfishness, and I'm like, ah, that was wrong. I shouldn't have done that. I knew I shouldn't have done that. That's why I gotta get back in the word and go, Lord, okay, train my mind, train my heart. Get me in sync with you, get me in step with you, because if I don't stay in step with him, then I'll always choose my own passions. All of us would. So that's why you have to have the mind of Christ. You have a routine so that your mind is regularly trained. I'll have to tell you, I just started a new routine for me, and and I'll tell you why I did. Uh, During this whole COVID time, as you can imagine, as I just talked about, we'd all love to be prepared for it. None of us could have prepared for a worldwide pandemic. But um, because of all of this time, I mean, information was flying at me. I mean, I was getting so much information, whether it was medical studies, whether it was uh, church experts, whether it was, I, it, it doesn't matter what it was, articles, what we should do, what we shouldn't do, what, how far we should stay away from each other, How, what, I mean, it, information was coming to me all the time. So, I mean, every morning, I was literally waking up and I'm like, okay, I'm into what's been closed today, <laughs> what's been canceled today. You know, I was going into all that stuff, information, information, because I was trying to make decisions quickly. And so that was my routine with COVID. I remember a pastor joked a long time ago, and he said, you know, if only we could tie our Bible reading to something that was addictive. You know, now, obviously, I don't advocate addiction, uh, and I'm sorry for those of you who struggle with it, but his point was, I wish we, we craved it go back to COVID times, what I realized was what I was addicted to, as soon as I wake up in the morning, is checking my phone. Like it was so habitual for me. Like I just, I woke up and I go to my phone. I was like Pavlov's dog. And so what I needed to do now, i have go, okay, Cody, you cannot check your, yes, I do talk to myself. Cody, you cannot check your phone until you sit with God's word. It just is, that's what you're addicted to. So I'm gonna put my Bible reading before I go to my phone. And it is, it, I'm telling you, it, ha, it was hard the first couple of de- days. Now it's so refreshing. Now I'm like, I don't wanna pick up my phone. I don't wanna hear what's going on. <laughs> I don't wanna know. I wanna spend time with God. And my times with him has, have been so rich lately. And man, maybe your routine that you've had for 10 years is, has gotten stale. Change it up, find a new routine. But you've gotta renew your mind. You gotta get your mind in God's word so that he can start transforming your mind so that you're not conformed to the pattern of this world because man, it's competing for your attention and honestly, it doesn't have to compete that hard. So we've gotta put some some boundaries, some, some barriers around that time with God so that we don't fall into the mind of the world but instead are transformed with the mind of Christ. Okay, second way to arm yourself is the community of like-minded believers who live with the end in mind. Arm yourself with the community of like-minded believers who live with the end in mind. You know this, but the people you hang around will determine your future. Your friends will determine your future. And you know this for your kids because you want your kids to have a, you know, a, a good future. You want them to hang around good people. We just don't take it necessarily to heart ourselves. And, and I, even in my Bible reading this past week, I was reading uh, Proverbs thirteen twenty. It says, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise. But the companion of fools will suffer harm. Who we hang around will affect our future, and you know this because how many times have you heard a story where somebody has gone through a hard time, maybe you've even told this story yourself, and when you you get to talking about that hard time, how does it start? Well, I started hanging out with the wrong type of friends. I mean, how many times have you heard it? I've heard it so many times. Well, they started hanging around the wrong type of people. Who we are around will affect our future, and so he says, Peter says, You need to be around a community of like-minded believers that live with the end in mind, not just for our eternal passions. Look at verses three to seven. He says, for the time that is past, suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do. Love that phrase. I got to stop there. For the time that is past, suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do. Whatever time that you have had in your old life, sowing your wild oats has sufficed. It's sufficient. You don't need more time to go into sin. You have found in sin all there is to find, and you're only going to find destruction if you go down that wide gate. Okay, back to, back to the word. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, in passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, or respect to these things, they're surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery. And they malign you, they speak ill of you. But they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. As we talked about last week, ultimate vindication belongs to the Lord and not to us. For this is why the gospel was preached, even to those who are dead. And I'll explain that. That though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. Because the end of all things is at hand, therefore be self-controlled and sober-minded, for the sake of your prayers. A lot to explain here, but it's pretty simple. You, we get a very clear picture of this contrast of the road that is wide that leads to destruction and the narrow one that, that leads to life. You get this wide road that leads to destruction where as the Gentiles live, which just means these are the folks who did not believe in God, they did not walk with Christ, and so they live for this world. Man, if somebody doesn't know Christ, I don't blame them. This is, this is all they know. They don't know anything more. They don't know of a higher calling that God has for them. And that's why he says, that's why the gospel needs to be preached to them. Not, it, it, this doesn't mean that God preaches to those who have literally died. It means that when we don't know Christ, we are dead in our sins and transgressions. That's what Paul's talking about in Ephesians chapter two, that even though we were dead, we were made alive in Christ. So we are literally walking dead people if we don't know Christ. And he says, that's why we preach the good news to them, that they can be made alive in the spirit as Jesus was made alive in the spirit. And so you get this two contrasting ways to to go, ways that we need to to walk. And it says, I love how he says that they're surprised when you don't join them. They're like, like, what is wrong with you? Why wouldn't you live for this world? Well, it's because we have a different hope. We have a different calling. We've chosen a different path. It's the path less traveled, but it's the one that leads to life. That's what he's calling us to. And it says that, and, and by the way, it, it doesn't just end with surprise. I love how he Talks about how it even goes to maligning your character, probably, of, oh, so now you're judgmental against me because you won't do this. Oh, now you're saying that I'm a sinner. Yeah, so am I, but I'm a sinner saved by grace through faith in Jesus. And so this is where we get into that really suffering for doing good. You will be in the out crowd, not the in crowd. You won't be in on the inside, joke. You'll be on the outside. That, that's the road less traveled, and that's the road God's calling us to, which is why he wants us to live with like-minded believers, and he wants us to live that way because, listen to me, folks, you cannot preach the good news and live like the Gentiles live. What, how does that make any sense? It doesn't make any sense. And honestly, hypocritical Christians have ruined it for a lot of other people when we try to preach the good news. And they go, well, I don't think I need what you're calling me to because I have somebody else that says they're a Christian and they do everything that I do. They live the same way. You're like, gosh, man, really shot us in the foot. You can't live that way and preach the good news. This is why he's calling us to an urgency, He said, for the time is near. We've got to live this way urgently because the path that we choose as we live as set apart for God is not only serving God, but it's serving those who need to hear the good news because the day of the Lord is approaching. Folks, that day is coming. If it was near for Peter, how much nearer is it for us? And he says that the Lord isn't slow as in some of us consider slow, but the Lord's patient because he doesn't want any to perish. He doesn't want any to die in their sins and transgressions and therefore incur the wrath that their sin deserves. He wants them to be in Christ because, as Romans 8.1 8, says, in Christ, there's now therefore no condemnation. We're not condemned for our sins. It's this, this urgency that he wants us to live with because there, his return is imminent. I know we all hope to see this in at least a couple weeks, everybody hopes to see a football game, right? Oh, please, Lord. Um, this is I'm being sober-minded for my prayers here uh, for college football. But if, if you notice, and sometimes the cameras don't always you know, show it, but if you've ever been to a game in person, many times you'll always see the football players when the fourth quarter is about to begin, they all hold up a four. You've seen that, right? Why are they holding up the four? It's because the game's about to be over. This is when we leave it all on the field. It doesn't matter how much we're up, it doesn't matter how much we're down, it doesn't matter what mistakes have been passed in in the first three quarters, this is the time to give it our all. This is the time to leave it on the field because once that whistle blows, there's nothing more you can do. Peter's calling us to live with that same kind of urgency, not only as lives set apart to serve him, but lives set apart to serve others because we're in the fourth quarter <laughs> and we've, we've got to leave it all in the field and I don't want to get to heaven and have any regrets of I could have shared the gospel with my cousin, could have shared the gospel with my friend. They didn't know, but I live the fourth quarter in ease. I live the fourth quarter trying to just go along to get along, to hide, to not, be, to not stand out too much. It's not the way teams play the fourth quarter, and that's not going to be the way the team Christ Chapel plays in the fourth quarter. We're going to leave it all on the field because we're a like-minded team. We're like-minded believers who are gonna live with the end in mind. So let me ask you, are you living around friends who encourage you to live for the day or only for today, only for today? I love what Hebrews chapter 10 says. Listen to the, to the pronouns that, that that's used in Hebrews chapter 10. He says, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope. Remember, hope refined is what we're studying. This is all about refining our hope it's but it's our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful he will return if we he thought it was near first Peter thought it was near Peter thought it was near then it 's near for us and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works not neglecting to meet together as some is in, as some are in the habit of doing but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near what is that day the day when the Lord takes his saints home, the day when Christ returns. Let me ask you, through this time, have you built better and deeper relationships, more meaningful relationships with people? Are you only living for today? If you're only living for today, then what the world says is YOLO, right? You, you only live once. I spelled it out for a few of you. YOLO. Here's the thing. For believers, it's not true. We don't. YOLO doesn't apply to a believer because I don't live once. I live twice. I'm made alive in Christ just like you are. So I don't know what that would be. Yo, li, lit. You only live twice. Yo, lit Christians. Yeah, love it but you have gotta walk around like-minded believers who say corny things like I do so that we can continue to live with this end in mind, not only for today, but what God is calling us to in the future. Moving on, last thing to arm yourself with is the motivation to serve other believers so that we can all endure to the end together. The motivation to serve other believers so that we can all walk together to the end. I I don't think it's any irony that Peter brings up serving other people in the midst of suffering for good. Because if I'm serving someone else, I'm focused on someone else. I'm not focused on myself. And he continues to move us to come over here, serve someone else, serve God. Look at verse eight. He says, above all, keep loving one another earnestly. Since love covers over a multitude of sins, doesn't mean that my love can cover over your sins. It means that my love for you can forbear with your sins. Just like First Corinthians 13 says that uh, love keeps no record of wrong. Okay, so he says, since love covers over a multitude of sins, he says, show hospitality to one another without grumbling as each has received a gift. Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. And whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. He encourages us to serve one another. And the way that we do that is with our spiritual gift. Because what scripture teaches us is that anyone who has placed their trust in Jesus Christ is now indwelled with the Holy Spirit. And they're given a gift to serve other Christians. You're not given a gift to serve yourself. You're given a gift to serve Other believers, and he breaks these down into two kind of categories of gift, speaking gift and serving gift. And I don't know what your spiritual gift is, but the question is simple. You need to find out. Do you know what your spiritual gift is and are you using it for God's sake? For God's sake, use your spiritual gift because if you're not using your spiritual gift, what that means is that the body is missing out. We're missing out on you using your gift. I'm missing out. And I'm selfish, remember? I want you to use your gift. Use your gift to serve other believers around you. If it's speaking, man, speak for God. Speak encouragement. Speak scripture. Speak blessings. Speak prayer. If it's serving, serve. Show hospitality, as he says in here, without grumbling. Serve. Give all you've got as unto the Lord. Romans 12, four through six says, for as one body, we have many members and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. We all belong to each other because we all belong to Christ. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Use your gift for the betterment of the body. We all have different ones. I can't do what you can do. I cannot serve the body like you can. That's why we all have to participate. So do you know what your gift is and are you using it for God's sake? And here's here's the beautiful thing about that. When you choose to use your spiritual gift, not only are you serving other believers, encouraging us all to look toward that day in the end, But guess what God does when you use your spiritual gift? He fills you with his spirit. So you sense a nearness to Christ. You sense a fullness in him. You sense a purpose that God has created you for so that you can pour yourself out and serve with the gift that he's given you. It's a win, 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 as Michael Scott would say. You know, everybody wins. But it's the road less traveled. Wide is the gate that says, if you're suffering, serve yourself. Narrow is the gate that says, let's use this time to serve God and to serve one another. It's the road less taken, but it will make all the difference. Would you pray with me? God, I thank you that you are so kind to us to not only meet us when we were dead in our sins and transgressions, but to bring us to life. And then when you bring us to life, to fill us with your spirit, to give us a sense of your nearness to us, and then to give us a purpose in this body. Lord, I pray that you would help us, encourage us, give us the courage to use our gifts for your sake, to serve your body so that we would all be encouraged. As we all suffer for doing good together, as we look for you and we say with all of our hearts, come Lord Jesus, come quickly. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen.